Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, which I started seven years ago today. This is my seventh soberversary. So I tell my story there, unpickledblog.com, and I invite you to share your stories here. So before we get to today's topic, I have a little bit of housekeeping that I need to do, and that concerns the ads that you may or may not hear either before or after this show. So the reason that we've gone to ads is that the cost to host and syndicate this show is about 600 U.S. per year, and I'm in Canada, so that translates to about a million a year Canadian. Uh, Just kidding. It's about 750 a year Canadian. And so just by letting the Blog Talk Radio system plug a couple of ads before and after the show covers those costs for me. Otherwise, I pay them myself. And Blog Talk has been really good about working with me to block any ad content that includes um, alcohol or anything booze-related. However, occasionally things do get through the system. And um, I realize there is some irony that occasionally, uh, because of horrible internet gremlins, ads for alcohol uh, appear sometimes on this podcast. And this is horrifying, even though maybe there's some kind of delicious irony in knowing that it's the dollars of the alcohol companies that are paying for us to spread the message of happiness and sobriety. However, uh, I am not okay with it when it happens, and either are our friends at Blog Talk Radio. So they get right to work fixing the problem. And I want to thank anybody that has sent me a message to let me know on the occasions when this has happened. It hasn't happened a lot, but when it does, we get on it right away. And um, I I thank you for that. And I'm really touched because a lot of you write and say, um, oh, my gosh, we can't have this. This is that might trigger somebody or that would be really bad. And I think it's beautiful how you guys all look out for each other and Also, I want to say, if someone is listening to this and they're trying to get sober and they're like, oh, I just heard an ad for booze, maybe that's a sign from the universe that that I'm supposed to drink. No, it is not a sign from the universe. Uh, It is a glitch, and I I promise you that we are uh, getting it sorted out. Okay, so let's move on to our show. And um, I just wanted you all to know that today's show is a little bit of a throwback. So we used to have multiple guests on for a topic, and some listeners have really missed this. So I decided to incorporate a few of these types of 
um, more group episodes this year to keep things kind of lively. And the issue of shopping and overspending came up in an online group that I'm involved in, and it was such an active thread that I knew it would uh, resonate with the listeners here on this show. So what does shopping and overspending have to do with sobriety? Well, perhaps more than you may think. Um, I'm just going to click a button here because I see that one of our guests has just joined us. Um, So to start our discussion with some insights on the connection between overspending and sobriety, I am very pleased to welcome a therapist, recovery coach, author, and sober woman herself, Veronica Valley, to the show. Hi, Veronica. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jane. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just great. Thank you for hopping on. Oh. I know that you're you're on the fly tonight. You're busy, and you managed to um, to join us for this discussion. So thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to come on. It's a pleasure always to uh, to hang out with you, Jane. Now, if Veronica's voice sounds familiar, listeners, you have heard her before. Um, We've had a couple of episodes with Veronica on. So if you go to the um, blog talk, radio.com slash bubble hour and search Veronica, you will get both of her episodes. And she's brilliant, just brilliant. Uh, So (laughs) I'm excited you're here tonight. So let me start by just asking you to first explain the broader concept of replacement behaviors before we get into the specifics of spending and shopping. Well, okay, so this is the way that I would put it very simply is um, the reason that we drink or use drugs is we are looking for an anesthetic to numb how we feel. So there comes a point where we realize that we have a problem and that alcohol is definitely not serving us and we need to get sober. So we stop drinking and we, we, we do whatever is necessary to, to make that happen. And then a lot of us notice that um, the kind of obsessive behavior that we used to have around alcohol, the, the thinking about drinking, the think about, thinking about not drinking, the kind of obsessive thoughts are transferred to either other substances or other behaviors. And the behavior one is kind of sneaky because a lot of them, like we have to do, like we have to eat, like we have to exercise, we have to shop, we have to have sex and get very, very out of balance. And I would kind of explain it like with me, it was like um, my brain was like a Google search engine. So when these really difficult and uncomfortable feelings would hit me, this is before I, I resolved the uh, core of, of like the emotional issues and found a better way to deal with my feelings. The, the feelings would hit me and like a Google search engine, my, I, my brain would bring up all the things that I do to deal with those feelings and alcohol's number one, but I don't do that anymore. Then with cigarettes, then with drugs, then with food, then with men, and then with shopping. And eventually when I kind of worked on all of those, it was like when I was standing in a shoe store like with anxiety about which shoes I was going to buy. And if I couldn't buy the ones I, I wanted, I didn't know how I was going to feel. Like I, I knew that I just still had work to do on myself. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I like that analogy to the Google search engine. So we're sort of scanning for comforts. <laughs> and We're basically, I mean, very, very simply, we're using external fixes to fix an internal problem. So 
I've heard that um, eating disorders are hard to treat because you can't do abstinence with food. As you said, we have to eat to live. And I could see how the same thing would be true for shopping because we do have to do a certain amount of shopping just to manage our lives, to run our households, to feed ourselves. So knowing that a lot of us in recovery struggle with anything that requires moderation, is, is shopping and overspending a common problem amongst our demographic, women in recovery and people in recovery in general? Well, you know, Jean, I, I'd say yes, but I would say honestly no more than people that, in general. And if it's okay with you, I have a little something I'd like to read to you, which I think really, really sums this up. Okay. And uh, it's from it's from a book called Out of the Wreckage, and it's uh, by a guy called George Monbois. I think it's Monbois, M-O-N-B-I-O-T. He's a British author. And I just finished reading this, and I just thought, you know, I knew our talk was coming up, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is so, so on the the nose of what we're we're talking about here. And it's in a chapter called Alienation under a subtitle called The Age of Loneliness. And he says, when state provision community, a sense of belonging and contact with physical reality are stripped away. All that is left is shopping. He goes on to say consumerism, television, cars, and the fetishization of celebrities are also likely to reduce our mental or physical activity and undermine our self-reliance. Consumerism stifles feeling, induces a state of glazed compliance, dulling our concern both for the living planet it assaults and for other people. Like celebrity culture, it appears to render us politically inactive. Lotus eating allows us to forget our losses. It ensures we become controllable and exploitable. And he goes on. And I just thought, oh, that, you know, this kind of, we have created a culture where, you know, consumerism, buying things that we don't need, um, is, is a form of disease in our whole culture, but in particular with people like us. Hmm, that's powerful. There's there's a part yeah. of me, though, like the little brat in my head was listening to you read that impactful quote and thinking, is a little bit okay? Like, <laughs> so how about lip gloss? Is lip gloss okay? Because I really need yeah. that. It's always that little devil on the shoulder. (laughs) I I agree. You know, I have this constant battle with myself where part of me is like this hippie, like wants to live in a, you know, like a hippie self-sustaining community. And there's another part of me who loves high heels. And I really think the answer to that, Jean, and I teach this all the time, is it's always balance. Whatever the question, balance is always the answer. So, yeah, you know, I'm with you. There's nothing like a great lip gloss and a great pair of heels and getting your nails done. But it's it's balanced. Is that mm-hmm. balanced in your life or is it not? And if it's not, then that's the indication that there's something not okay. Well, let's hear from our guests a little bit, and then we can continue the discussion after we've all sort of had a chance to air a little bit of what this looks like for us. Um, I have two wonderful women who are opening their hearts for us tonight. Um, The first is Wendy, who joins us by phone, and also Marie will join us via letter, which I will read later in the show. So, Wendy, welcome to the Bubble Hour. 
Thanks a lot. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad you are. And I know that this was a step out of your comfort zone. So thank you for being willing to be uncomfortable. And um, I hope it's painless so far. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks again for this opportunity. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Well, let's start by learning a little bit about you and about um, your experience with alcohol and what your relationship with shopping looks like as a person in recovery. Okay. Um, well, thanks very much. Um, I guess I just wanted to start by saying happy soberversary to you. Thank you. <laughs> Seven years is exciting and congratulations. Um, I'm also very honored to be here on the same show with Veronica I remember listening to her on one of your shows about a year ago when I first started listening. So it's pretty exciting to be on here with both of you today. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, yeah, the bubble hour when I first stopped drinking was my lifeline. And I just listened to episode after episode. And it was just so encouraging to know that I wasn't the only one out there with um, struggles. And I pretty much remember hearing a little bit about me in every one of your guests back then. So um, this is this is just an awesome opportunity. <clears throat> so I'll start um, with my story, which I did have to, I'll admit, um, write out so I would not be too nervous and forget everything that I wanted to say. <laughs> and then I'll just <laughs> talk a little bit about... <laughs> um, the shopping as it looks now and I didn't really write out anything like that I just kind of have some thoughts in my head that I'll throw out there um, so I'm Wendy I'm 51 years old and married to my second hubby since 2005 I have two kids age 22 and 28 and I put down the wine glass for good a year ago tomorrow so, oh um, yeah happy birthday <laughs> to you Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I drank my first beer when I was about 13 or 14. An older friend gave it to me. Um, my family and a few other families were camping together in the summer, and us kids had our own campfire away from the adults' fire. I remember that I didn't really like the taste of it, but managed to get it down. And I remember that I liked the positive attention drinking that beer gave me from the other older kids on the camping trip. I felt cool and grown up and so started my relationship with alcohol. So through high school, I became a partier. The focus switched from doing well in classes to being all about who was having the party that weekend or what we could do that would involve drinking. Before alcohol came into my life, I used to love riding horses and would compete in small local shows. That interest um, soon fell by the wayside, and my social life ramped up. So, you know, I had parties to go to and boyfriends to hang out with, because, of course, for me at that time, being available for my boyfriend was more important than spending time with my horse. Basically, when you got right down to it, pretty much anything social I did through high school, I felt I needed to involve alcohol. And for me, it wasn't about drinking a couple of beers and going home. It was about seeing how much I could drink. I myself just didn't seem to understand the concept of drinking without getting drunk. Of course, in retrospect, it's obvious. It was what I knew at the time. I mean, while I was growing up, 
I didn't feel that my parents drank so they could see how smashed they could get. But I did, however, equate getting together with people with drinking alcohol. It's what they did. I knew that as normal. There were Christmas parties, New Year's parties, camping trips, and so on. And they would all involve a lot of alcohol. Mom would enjoy her wine in the evening, and Dad would drink his beer while doing jobs around the property. It's what I knew. It's what I thought people did to have fun and be social. And so the pattern continued into my adult life. I drank regularly, mostly on weekends, but quite often during the week as well. Sometimes I would overdo it. Most often the times that I didn't overdo it involved me being dragged away from the bar or party by a nornie. I got married to my first husband when I was 22 and had two kids from that marriage. He drank a lot. It started out fun and was a lot of laughs, but somewhere along the way, I realized it was time to grow up and be responsible and be a good mom to those two wonderful kids. I still drank during the time they were young, but I reeled it in a lot. I don't think he saw parenting in that same light. He was the life of the party and a really great guy to all our friends, but most often he turned into a scary mean drunk when we got home. I became very unhappy and developed some really good codependency traits or probably I already had those in me, um, but those unhealthy coping mechanisms really came to the forefront in my first marriage. Thankfully, I managed to leave. And that was when my drinking ever so slowly started ramping up again. I was alone, lonely, always struggling to make ends meet and trying to be a good enough parent on my own. Of course, you don't really realize it at the time, but for me, my weekend treat of a bottle of wine, which back then would actually last a whole weekend, ever so slowly developed into an occasional weeknight treat. And before I knew it, I was buying a bottle of wine pretty much every day and even more on weekends. So I started to really look at my drinking in late 2016 and early 2017. Retirement was on the very distant horizon. And I wondered what that would look like given my drinking pattern currently. I was tired of being a slave to the bottle of wine. I was tired of forgetting stuff from the night before I was tired of passing out on the stool at the kitchen counter, tired of being such a grouch in the morning, and tired of feeling like I was the only one in the world that drank a whole bottle of wine each night at home. So I explored sobriety online, and I discovered the answer, the answer for me anyways. Um, Someone recommended a book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. I started reading the book and joined her online community and discovered, lo and behold, that I was not the only one in the whole world that was drinking a bottle of wine every night and feeling like a loser for doing it. That was the most awesome discovery of all. I was not the only one, and so I pursued stopping alcohol in late winter of 2017. It was fairly easy to cut back, and I kept track of my drinking days and my non-drinking days on my calendar and kept track of the days that I actually spent money on booze and the days that I didn't. Those alcohol-free days and dollars not spent started adding up. At a few stops and starts from February into March of last year, but I didn't give up. I knew by then I didn't want to drink anymore. So on March 19th, I bought what I knew was going to be my last bottle of wine. That bottle lasted two evenings, and March 21st, 2017 was my forever day one. So um, that brings us to a year ago now. Um, I could go on and on about the wonderful world of sobriety, non-drinking, recovery, But I guess um, this show is more about shopping and overspending. So that's what I'd like to focus on now. Um, It's just amazing going through that journey and learning so much about yourself 
um, becoming aware of different things that pop up as you go on um, in your sobriety and recovery. So over this past year, I kind of noticed this bit of a pattern um, that was starting to creep into my life um, with regards to spending and shopping. Um, So on looking at it lately, um, there's a few things that I just kind of wonder about or um, exploring, um, such as the instant gratification um, to it, the fact that back then in the drinking days, there was never enough money because obviously we're spending money so much on alcohol and all the other negative things that go along with that. Um, and um, I find that I'm spending now simply because I can. <laughs> I have the money that I to spend, and so it's a bit of an attitude adjustment um, in regards to making sure that it doesn't get out of control. It's something that I'm aware of now. And so my shopping over this last year has looked a little bit like um, when I was buying wine, I would go to the store and buy other groceries to make it look like wine was the afterthought. So usually a $10 bottle of wine would end up actually being a $25 trip to the grocery store almost every day. So that really adds up. And with quitting wine and the many trips to the grocery store, I had a lot of extra money around. And it, um, the online world of shopping has really opened up lately. And so it's been very easy to just pop on and order clothes, order certain dry goods from the big box stores and get them delivered. And I've just noticed over time um, this past year that this trend has been increasing. I find um, that things such as soda crackers, I have two boxes in the cupboard, whereas that's never happened before. We only need one box of crackers at a time. So this is different for me. Two bottles of laundry soap, an extra mascara just because it's on sale, even though I still have lots of mascara, face cleanser, all those types of products are available and I have the money and so I may as well buy them. And same with clothes. Those are the big ones. That's the big one for me is clothes. I've been buying quite a lot. It makes me feel, um, I don't know, kind of excited inside to know I have a parcel coming in the mail. <laughs> and um, when it comes right down to it, all you can wear is one pair of leggings at a time, and you don't really need four pairs of black leggings, nor do you need umpteen number of tank tops and cardigans. It's just um, knowing when it's enough. Does Um, it ever feel like enough? (laughs) uh, For me, it's starting to. I'm seeing this pattern and not liking it. And so 
I'm starting to look at it closely and trying to develop some strategies so um, it will be enough. <laughs> I, I really. Now, I, see what what strategies? Sorry, what strategies are you you developing? Pardon me. Sorry, hi, hi, Marie. What what strategies are you working on? Oh, um, I'm putting things. Um, mostly, I shop online, so I will put things in my online cart and not check out. I'll wait for a day or two to see and ask myself, do I really need this item? Um, and usually, by waiting a couple of days. Um, able to decide that I don't so it's not so impulsive oh that shirt's on sale I should buy it because I have the money that's how I have been looking at things Um, and now feeling that if I wait and not be so impulsive with my purchase I guess maybe that instant gratification then um, it's easier to not buy it So that's one strategy. And another strategy is cleaning up my email inbox of all the specials that are coming to me from the different stores and just unsubscribing to all those emails. Those are both excellent tips. I think that that helps a whole lot. I've done that one too where I'll fill up my cart and I know I'm playing a game when I do it. Okay, I can fill this up. I just can't check it out. And uh, then when I go to look at it the next day, as you said, I'm like, what? Why did I even put that in there? Like, why Why did I think I needed that? Um, I think those are really good tips. Um, I want to uh, thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your um, celebrating your soberversary by by doing this show as part of your marking your milestone. I think that's really wonderful, and and I'm honored to uh, share the span of a 24-hour celebration with you. Um, before yeah. we before we move on to asking Veronica some questions, I want to read um, a letter from Marie, our other guest, who wasn't able to join us tonight, but she took the time to write her story out. And I'm going to do my best to read it to you um, and, uh, and do it justice. So this is Marie's story, the story of my life, she says. I grew up in a family of five siblings. My father was a workaholic, also an active alcoholic. Our mother was our anchor. Her unconditional love, inner quiet strength held us together when our world came came crashing down. We were poor, and Dad was forever talking about the lack of money. There was never enough. Debts being consolidated into one payment. Often in his drunken stupor, he would remind us who the breadwinner was. He was the one putting a roof over our heads and food on the table. Unfortunately, when life got tough for me as an adult, I was totally unequipped. I had no coping skills. Drinking to run away from problems to numb pain and anxiety became a way of life for me. There were never any discussions in our home. Tension filled every nook and cranny. It felt like we were living with a time bomb, never knowing when it would explode. I grew up keeping everything bottled inside. I hid my life from the outside world the best I could, never inviting friends over. Home was not a place of refuge. I wanted to be anywhere but home when Dad was there. 
I also avoided confrontation at any cost. I would say and do to please others. I would say and do anything to please others. Being the oldest sibling, I was the peacekeeper, and so began my journey into deception. One of many deceptions was creating an image of having it all together. I could not buy enough clothes. Three closets full, and I was still buying clothes. I would always justify my purchase with, it's on sale. I became my dad. Everything he bought was on sale for a real bargain. Last year, I gave away three bins of clothes and purses to a friend, many that still had the price tags attached, clothes I never wore, but had to have them, never enough. Just like my drinking, one drink was never enough, two were never enough, always wanting, craving more to fill the void in my life. I couldn't go anywhere without my hair and makeup being done and carefully choosing my outfit for the day. It was all about the image, the outside appearances. Did I mention I was a workaholic, just like my dad? Validation was everything to me. Look at me. Look how successful I am. Look how much I get done. All about me, me, me. My soul was totally broken, and I was worried about outside appearances, the insanity of it. Like my dad, I too had a scarcity mentality, never enough, especially surrounding food. Our monthly grocery bill was often over 1200 a month for two people, stockpiling food. I had become my dad. Month after month, year after year, foolishly wasting money, a ridiculously high grocery bill while tossing food into the garbage, overspending, caused by fear of not having enough. When I packed my lunch for work, my hubby would look in amazement. He would say, I think you have packed every single container we own. The constant fear of not having enough was forever present. Today, through recovery, I believe this was because I felt I was never enough. My self-esteem was so low. I certainly wasn't good enough. This led me to do more. Personal validation and acceptance through keeping busy, working full-time, keeping a spotless home, volunteering, entertaining, doing, doing, doing. It felt good to be busy. I had no time to think about the turmoil that was spreading like a cancer through my body. My spending was the one constant. It didn't matter if we couldn't afford it. I had charge cards. My husband had no idea of where we were at financially. He trusted me. My life was so full of deceit and hiding. No wonder I never slept soundly. Shame and fear were my constant companions. They were with me constantly, waking me up at 3 in the morning to remind me of what a terrible person I was. In 2017, I began listening to The Bubble Hour. The stories of recovery filled my spirit with hope. I was ready to fix me and all my insecurities. I was ready to close that chapter of my life. I was born into a family where addiction lived. I had no choice or say in this. I did, however, have a choice to say enough is enough. I had a choice to choose recovery. I had a choice to move forward. I no longer needed to stay in bondage to feel worthless or to live with regret. April 22, 2017, I had enough. I reached out for help and loving hands lifted me up. I chose recovery that day and I have not looked back. In 2017, through recovery, I learned I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. Not only did I learn this, those words were imprinted upon my spirit. They are my truth. 
This truth made it possible for me to retire. I no longer need to shop. I have replaced the shopping with self-care, reading, photography, coloring, and cooking. Self-time to just be, time to be creative, time to be reflective, time to be grateful, time to be of service. My spirit feels at peace, and I am content. I no longer need to be constantly doing because being is enough. I celebrate recovery, a new chapter in the story of my life, one that I will honor knowing its precious value, one that I will share to be of service to others, and one that I will always remember. Thank you all for being my hero. Do you know how many lives you've saved? I'm one of them. Her thanks goes out to everyone that's been on the bubble hour and shared their stories. Um, Jean, you blessed me with hope for the future and faith in the process and connection to my tribe. There's more than enough. What more is there? So that's from Marie. And Mm. I love how she connects her story to the sharing that goes on in the bubble hour and how this just all comes full circle when we tell our stories and share our truths. Um, So Veronica, just as you're listening to both Wendy's story and Marie's story, what do you hear there as a common thread in both of those? What really stood out for me, I just thank both ladies for sharing their stories. Uh, They were really powerful, was that um, it's not enough. It's not enough, you know. That, that, That just, I think that everybody who's battled any kind of addiction will resonate with that so strongly there's it's that it's like a drumbeat deep inside your soul and it's fear it's that fear of this is not going to be enough i won't have enough and uh it doesn't matter if it's buying things or it's alcohol or it's drugs or what or it's sex or whatever it is it's like it's just not enough there has to be more and we know that there isn't there isn't enough there isn't. It's true. There isn't enough because the answers that we are looking for can't be found in substances or behaviors. I think that's so true. And I wonder sometimes if there's a part of us that reaches for things that aren't good for us. I guess maybe it would be the addicted part of our brain that sometimes wants to cause some calamity so that we have an excuse to need <laughs> You know, I'm like, great, I'm in debt. You know, I, you'd drink too if you were in debt. Or, I mean, there's degrees to this. Um, I think, you know, I certainly shop to soothe, especially as Wendy was saying, the online shopping. I've never gone to the point where I've gotten myself into financial trouble. But I'm sure there's lots of listeners who, um, for whom this resonates with. Um, And I feel like that extra burden can make it really hard to stay sober. But I also feel like there's some people who might do it subconsciously as an excuse not to get sober or stay sober. Am I, am I on track at all there? Or does that sound like something that could be true? I I think that that could be true. I think what you're talking about, Jean, is it's the, it's the smoke and mirrors, you know, it's the many different ways that we hide you know, it's all the different ways, and, and we're hiding from ourselves. So, you know, creating external crises and, and then hiding in, in uh, shopping or drinking, 
it's, it's the way that we hide from ourselves. So we don't ever have to see that kind of stark nakedness that all of us see at some point when we have that moment of clarity, that lightning bolt that hits us when we're just like, <sighs> I cannot continue like this and I have to do something about it. And I think many of us know that that moment is coming and we're scrambling around to, to put it off for as long as we can, but it's inevitable. We, we can't. We can't avoid it. Um, it. Eventually, at some point, we have to face that. Wendy, does that resonate with you when Veronica talks about using it as a way to kind of hide from ourselves? Do you feel like that, especially with clothes, do you feel like that's a way to sort of alter yourself or, or hide from some reality of yourself? Or how do you feel like that connection is made between the two things? Um, for me, uh, at this point, I don't feel that I'm hiding um i feel that my spending um and shopping is being more almost like a worn like a badge of honor if that makes sense it's mm-hmm. the fact that i was spending so much money on alcohol and then i stopped and i have this money now and it's kind of look at look at me <laughs> I can buy this now <laughs> before yeah. I couldn't before there was never enough money to go around so um, it, it, for me it just feels like um, not really flaunting it but just wearing my clothes like a badge of honor I have these new clothes now because I can afford them So it's sort of like treating yourself, right? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead, Veronica. I think I I wanted to ask Wendy before when you were shopping. Did you? There's a lot of activity there, right? There's a lot of doing. So um, you know, shopping and getting parcels out, like that activity. Did that help you hide from what you were really feeling? It it could. Um, that's a good point for sure. And I actually, as most recently as this weekend, um, this past weekend, I found a few times where I was restless and a little bored. I had lots that I could do, but nothing I really felt like doing. And inside my head, the little shopping idea popped up a couple of times on the weekend. So definitely, (laughs) I didn't shop, but it came into my head and I was aware of that. It was quite strange. I've certainly had the experience a few times of when um, my husband was away. Um, I think it's almost the same triggers, like the halt triggers, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, that I think I was lonely and I and I would just sort of shop online, like just look at, oh, especially um, because there's a there's a, 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 a sort of a calendar um, coincidence between Black Friday in the U.S. often coordinates with Grey Cup in Canada, which is like our version, the CFL version of Super Bowl. And um so my husband would be away at Great Cup, so he's off having fun and and um 
you know, he's, he's a normie. And so that, that would be a trip where he would be maybe drinking with his friends. And for the first few years that I was sober, I would definitely sit home alone and shop online because it was Black Friday. That would be my excuse. But I really realized that, like, I was sort of um, acting out a little bit of resentment by doing that because I'm thinking, well, he got to go on a trip and he's doing all this partying and I'm here by myself. I mean, not that I would have gone with him anyway, but there was certainly some sort of attempt to um, – balance the scales a little bit but I really as I you know the next year that that rolled around and I was sober for another year I kind of thought oh yeah Black Friday I'm in it and I thought you know what I kind of think that there's some um almost like revenge shopping (laughs) happening here if that makes sense and um so even though it wasn't exactly tied to drinking, I could see the parallels in the behavior. Like you, sometimes I hear people mm-hmm. say like that they are drinking at um, their spouse or they are drinking at someone when they relapse because they're showing them how mad they are. And I almost feel like I was shopping at um, my feelings about, you know, being left behind a little bit. That was um, the case for me back when I was with my first husband and he um, was drinking a lot and I was not drinking so much and he would um, spend a lot of money out at the bar and that would have a lot of resentment from me and so those were times um, way back then when I would go out and (laughs) spend the equivalent amount of money in the store so I was shopping at him. (laughs) Right yeah evening the score a little bit right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't do that now. Um, I have no reason to shop in that manner, but it's just um, getting um, a bit of an unhealthy pattern for me, which I'm really taking a look at now. So what are some healthier ways to to act out that urge? Veronica, could you kind of help us figure that out a little bit? Like when we're feeling that way that we're missing out or we're trying to balance out, you know, get our share of fun or whatever. Um, Is there another way we could be looking at that, do you think? Um, So there's there's two things that I would say there. One is short-term and one is long-term. And um, when those feelings hit and our Google search engine kicks in and we're then uh, looking for, you know, what can I do to fix these feelings, change these feelings, hide these feelings, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of EFT, emotional freedom technique, which I, I, I uh, use in many, many different forms. Is a, is a really great way to just instantly change all, the way how you feel in, those, in, in minutes. Um, however, what I would also say is long-term, you have to resolve the engine that drives these feelings in the first place. So we, we can do like like strategies and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but if you're just scratching the surface, you've, you've got to get to the root cause. You've got to have some kind of what I call emotional rearrangement. Otherwise, I'm constantly looking for ways to deal with how I feel and yes, I can use healthier ways, but you know what I prefer to have? But for me, the way that I describe recovery is when pe- people say this to me all the time, like, how do I know 
when I'm okay? Like, how do I know when I get to that place? What does it look like? And this is what I tell them is that you have appropriate emotional responses to events. So when something happens that makes you sad, the appropriate response to that is to be sad. If something happens that's joyous, the appropriate response to that would be happy. I think from a lot of us that when we're in our active drinking and destructive behaviors, we are slave to our feelings. They have mastery over us. So we have to do the work so that we become, uh, our feelings are then balanced and we have emotional, we have appropriate emotional responses to the events that happen. Um, Then we don't need all of these quick fixes and and all that kind of stuff. Does, Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would like Mm -hmm. that very much. (laughs) No, it does. It does sound good. And I I can feel that happening in myself as time goes on where I I think, oh, I'm genuinely happy for this person right now. I don't feel lesser than I don't feel, you know, something good happens to someone else and I'm not comparing or, or taking away from that moment. I can actually feel good for them. And, and as you just said like it occurs to me that oh well that's how uh, that's how a person should feel that would be good a good regulated response so uh i love that you mentioned eft emotional freedom technique can you tell us a little bit more about that what it is and how it works yes i love eft and i love talking about it so really just very briefly i'm a traditionally trained therapist Uh, I don't work as a therapist anymore. I really work as a coach and an EFT practitioner. But in the UK, I used to work as a therapist. And then I uh, used to get asked to speak a lot about my story and alcoholism and that kind of stuff. And I found myself getting really, I used to get really, really, really nervous before I went and spoke in front of people. And I, I really enjoyed it once I got going, but I would be so nervous I'd be just like sick with fear. Anyway, I met someone who was an EFT practitioner and she said, I can help you with that. And uh, she explained it to me, and I was very skeptical. I thought, well, that's just really weird. But I'm very like, I'll give it a go, you know? What, what the hell? What have I got to lose? So I went along, and two sessions later, she completely resolved that for me, and I've never had any of that kind of nerves or stage fright or anything like that when I do any public speaking. And I was like, Wow. Uh, then I went to uh, work on some issues around food and sugar cravings, and we resolved that. And then after a while, I was like, I have to train in this stuff. It's amazing. So I started, I trained in it, trained in it. And then um, I, uh, so EFT, just to explain how it works, is basically a combination of ancient Chinese acupressure and modern psychology. And the belief behind EFT is that all negative feelings are a result in a blockage of our uh, energy system. So when you tap on your acupressure points on your body while bringing to mind the, the uncomfortable feelings or the issue that's bothering you or whatever it is, you can release that negative energy and begin to feel differently. So um, I did the training and then I would use it with my clients who would come into maybe rehab when, where I worked who were so anxious Um, but they couldn't sit in group therapy, which is a very traditional part of the the treatment process. So I would use EFT to bring their anxiety levels down, which I could do in minutes, and then they could take part in in the the group therapy, that kind of stuff. Uh, And then sort of fast forward, uh, since I've been in America, I've really just been working with EFT because I'm really at the point now that it it works so quickly and so effectively. 
I can't, I can't really even imagine going back to being a traditional therapist, although I, I think there's great value in that. I, I certainly, um, you know, I, I've, I've done therapy on and off for, for years, um, and it has its place for sure. But I just love the effects that I can get with EFT. So um, I work, I've done work with groups. I do one-to-ones with, with EFT. I, I actually have uh, this Sunday, uh, if it's okay to mention this, Jean, I have a, a training uh, for specifically to use EFT on triggers, on, on stuff that triggers you, because it, it can just give you that instant relief in just a matter of minutes for you to just... Um, calm down your thoughts to become more reasonable more focused and you can then make better choices and you're not kind of taken over by these feelings that are just urging you to you know do whatever it is you you want to do to you know drink or whatever it is you do to relieve your feelings so um it it just it's really really powerful that's fantastic so uh... I guess there's the the first step then would be in order for this to be useful, you'd have to kind of spend some time thinking about what is it, what's behind your spending. And Wendy and Marie both did a really good job of identifying that and understanding it for themselves and both have worked to resolve it. But for someone who's feeling really stuck in this, um, is that how they would be able to use EFT to help deal with it would be by spending some time figuring out what's behind the shopping and then using EFT to deal with that? Is that how it would work? Well, not really, no. I, I think <laughs> one of the first things that I teach, I, 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 just the first thing I teach is you actually can't do this alone. You know, it's really, really hard. We thought ourselves into this problem. It's really hard to think ourselves out of it, and we do need outside help. So I, I think seeing someone who's a professional or experienced who who can show you the pathway out of where you are is actually where you need to go first. And I actually think trying to figure it out on your own is just a mind trip. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I need, you know, I still at almost 18 years of sobriety and like millions of hours of work on myself get to sometimes a place where I just need someone else to help me dig, dig out of it a little bit because I just can't see. And, and so I, the first thing I would say is you need, you need someone else and you need kind of a proved, like a, 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 a tested strategy that you can use to kind of give you those insights. Um, I, I really don't think it's something you can do on your own. I think it's hard I'm glad you try and do it on your own. I'm glad you said that because um, uh, I, 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 yeah, didn't mean to imply that it should be on your own, but of course, I think that is actually kind of my go-to strategy. And as soon as you talk about working through it with someone else, you know, about two years into my sobriety, um, a friend of mine, Don Nickel, was the one who said, I really think you should go talk to somebody because I, I was kind of an angry person still, and I didn't really know what to do with that. In fact, it almost scared me a little bit how this anger kept coming up. And it was astounding to me how quickly uh, I could work through that under the guidance of uh, of a therapist. And um, it really, I mean, I'd sort of just been like treading water in the emotional pool through the first few years of my sobriety, but just, you know, a few sessions and I was really, like it really advanced my growth leaps and bounds. So I feel the truth of what you're saying there. It is it is really quite astounding um, the kind of progress that you can make with some help from someone else. I want to move on and ask you about yeah, 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, why make it hard on yourself? I mean, there, there's we're now, especially with the stuff that's online, there's so many resources out there. Well, you know, don't don't make it hard on yourself. Seek out, you know, the the people in the groups and all that kind of stuff that, that can, can support you. Don't do it on your own. Right. Yeah. And as Wendy pointed out, we have additional resources when we quit drinking and stop spending all that damn money on wine. <laughs> we can yeah. spend it on our, ourselves in positive ways and not necessarily all tank tops and leggings, although uh, I happen to have a shameful amount of leggings in my closet too. I want to ask about hoarding and um, I read somewhere that all these things that are addictive are, are sort of on a spectrum and and that there's, you know, a pleasure reward circuitry malfunction involved in them. And that hoarding was was sort of one of the fellow travelers of addiction, along with eating behaviors and gambling and, um, you know, sexual addiction. I don't know if addiction is the right word for it, but um sexual behaviors um do you know anything about that veronica can you tell us a little bit about about that at all sorry about hoarding yeah um well it's definitely on on uh i mean it's it's definitely a mental health condition i don't i think that you know certainly we can uh it's a trait that we and i'm talking about people with you know some kind of alcohol use disorder can have um but it's certainly a trait, a, a mental health condition that can stand on its own. Um, with people who don't necessarily have an addiction problem as well. And I think hoarding is very much about being safe. It's about mm-hmm. I need these things to be safe. I need I need I can't, I'm not being able to let things go. Um, so the way that I always look at that is our external world is always a manifestation of our internal condition, always. So um, I love the saying, you know, if our if our room's a mess, our life's a mess. You know, it's it's just um, you you can just see how someone feels, how they are, by kind of just observing their life for a little bit. So if you have someone that hoards, and and you know what comes with that is usually a lot of you know um, those places get very dirty. It's very muddled. It's very confused. That's simply a reflection of their internal state. Um, it, it's really, you know, it, it's very treatable if you can get the right treat, treatment. But it's, it's, yeah, it's quite, it, it's all about this feeling of, of being safe, which I actually think a lot of our behaviors are generally. You know, that what we were talking about before about not having enough. It's like, yeah. if I have enough, then I'll be safe. Yeah, yeah. And Wendy, you were talking about that about the crackers, you know, having that extra box of box of crackers, or just having mm. extra um, because you can, but also because you know it feels good to have that security, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's not something. Um, it's it's different now than before, where there where it was oh, I have to make sure that I can afford whatever it is that was I was running out of. Um, now I don't have that worry. So now I have two boxes of crackers in my cupboard instead. <laughs> but, <laughs> then you have to check the expiration date on it, right? <laughs> oh, great. This yeah. one was still dated two weeks ago. 
I've done that a few times. Wendy, have you ever had yeah. the experience when you're, um, you know, perusing whatever online or spending time in a mall? Have you ever had the experience of losing time? Do you know what I mean by that? Um, yes, I do know what you mean. And no, I haven't had that yet, thankfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you stay quite um, present when, you, I, when you're. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would have mm-hmm. to, I guess what, the reason I asked it is obviously because it's a, it's a feeling that I have had of where, you know, I just sort of, um, and again, it's especially if I'm alone of where I think, oh, I'll just look at this or I'll just, hmm, I wonder, you know, if I go on Amazon, I wonder what, um, uh, you know, I don't know, some kind of like food containers or kitchen gadget or, or oh, I wonder if, mm-hmm. you know, this like, thing for my grandkids or this latest toy or whatever and I just you know I'm just curious about the price or about whatever and then I'll just sort of start going down this rabbit hole and then before I know it 90 minutes has passed and I've stayed up later than I was intending to and not necessarily that I've like spent money but I've just sort of gone away for a little while and um Mm -hmm. If that gets you through the witching hour, which we call the sort of times of craving, that could be a positive thing. But um, I also feel like it could be a bit of a red flag. Mm -hmm. You you, you know, again, it's the the answer to that is always balance. If, you Mm -hmm. know, once in a while we all need to zone out, you know, we just need to do something mindless and just switch off. I mean, if it's in in balance, it, it's fine, but it, you know we have to look at the, the the larger you know context. If it's something you're doing every day or or regularly, and yeah, sure, if that's what you do to get through the witching hour in the first few weeks, but it's not a sustainable way of of staying away from alcohol. But you know, I can't. I feel that we can't have this conversation unless we also talk about the power of marketing and the effect mm-hmm. that, that that has on us, and the, and the way that you know, particularly women, that we are being sold things that really it all works on our emotions you know first you know that you're not complete you're not right and if you buy these things you will be and it's kind of going back to that kind of quote that that I I read out at the start it's like we can slide into this you know kind of zombie state of just just consuming you know and, and be- believing that you know the next thing is going to be what makes our life perfect and will be like the magazines and all that kind of stuff you know I, I feel more and more like you know the power of marketing is just kind of you know something we need to be more aware of mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really good point because it really does play to our our feelings that uh, to begin with don't serve us well of not needing enough or needing to change, which I think is, is mm-hmm. really at the root mm-hmm. of most of our maladaptive behaviors, that feeling of, I want to change how mm-hmm. I feel externally. I want the quick fix and they, and marketing plays on that. And, and then things change, right? I mean, I, I, I've worked in interior design for all my career and, it used to drive me crazy as a designer that every year they would come out with the color of the year because, you know, the whole push is that that room you spent $5,000 redecorating five Uh years ago. We can't have that. We need you to want to redecorate it. (laughs) 
<laughs> in a couple years, so you'll spend more money. I mean, it really is an artificial push to make us dissatisfied with what we have. So that pressure exists in the world already is what you're saying, Veronica. And and whether we battle with addiction or not, that that's just a reality that everybody has to come up against. Yeah, I mean, just you know, the, the alcohol advertising alone, and you know, the 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 mis, you know, it's just so far from reality. And it's, I I feel like sometimes I feel like it's, you know, it's the emperor's new clothes, where you know, especially with alcohol advertising and the whole kind of kind of cultural relationship with alcohol, it's like we're all just like, yeah, it's just you know, it's just fun, and you know, there's a very small majority of people have a problem, but for everyone else, it's harmless and you know, I want to drink my my cocktails and be like Sarah Jessica Parker, and I, you know, there's adverts and and you know, mummy, all the whole, you know, you've seen the mummy loves wine, mummy needs wine mm-hmm. bullshit that we're seeing everywhere, and um, it's it's all a lie, and it's like I sometimes I felt for a long time I'm like that little boy going the emperor's naked, the emperor's naked. Because mm-hmm. the, all the people that are telling me like, oh, yeah, but it's so much fun. I'd be missing out if I didn't drink have been brainwashed because they are they are so their their perception of what they think alcohol brings into their life is just so inaccurate to the reality of what it's actually bringing, what it's actually taking. I'm glad you brought that up. And the other the other thing that I think we should touch on in this discussion of shopping relates to codependency, because I think there's this idea that if I'm shopping for someone else, it's okay. And that's almost like a compounded <laughs> um, a compounded um, search for comfort through, you know, shopping to soothe and giving doing things for others to feel safe. And um, I think I've definitely been really guilty of this. And it's a really easy thing to fall into, I think, as a mom and as a grandma. But I mean, I used to, if I had my friends over for coffee, everyone went home with a little gift bag with, you know, lotion and things in it, because I just was, I always wanted to have things around to give away to others. I had a little cupboard where I stored it. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, I think in healing that need to feel safe around others too. And just as we've talked about, like I am enough, I have enough being together is enough. I don't need to artificially bolster this with stuff. Um, And can you just talk a little bit about that, Veronica, about codependency and and how we can um, keep that in check or how do we know if that's getting out of hand? I think, again, I, I keep going back to balance. And balance, balance to balance. me, is about balance, balance, balance. It's, okay, so the way that I understand it, you know, it's, it's a paradox. You know, we do, we do need other people. We need, that's, we, as human beings, it's essential for us to have deep connections with other people and, and a dependency on each other. But it's when it gets out of balance. And the classic way that this is done is when I want to fix you, and I put all of my efforts and emotional energy into you and caring about you and fixing your problem to the detriment of myself. It's the balance bit. There's nothing wrong with caring. There's nothing wrong with trying to help someone you love. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's when it gets out of balance and it's detrimental to yourself that 
a red flag needs to go up that that's a problem. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, we've been chatting for an hour, and I feel like we've only just scratched the surface on this topic, which lets me know it was definitely a good one, and I, I hope that it um, that we've at least – you know, brought a few ideas to light that can help our listeners. Um, I want to ask you each for just your closing thoughts and reflections or even a few kind words for listeners, if you wouldn't mind. Veronica, do you want to go first? Sorry, say, I just say that again, Jean? Um, just closing thoughts. Any final thoughts or, or words oh. for our listeners? Okay, so my final thoughts are that you um, – that you need a short-term and you need a long-term strategy. Um, when you're counting days and weeks, and, uh, when you're in recovery, um, as long as it's not destructive or abusive, you can do. You need to do whatever you can to just stay away from drink or stay away from whatever that is the destructive behavior. But that's not going to work long-term. Long-term, you need a proven process or strategy or program that just gets to the unresolved stuff that enables you to have this emotional rearrangement so you just respond differently to the world. And so you feel differently, you think differently, and you can get to that place where you just have appropriate emotional responses to events that happen. That's the destination of all of this. And it's, it's a process. You're not going to get there on day two. You know, it's a process of moving towards that. And, and it's still, you know, it's still close to 18 years of sobriety. That still deepens for me. I still have aha moments, um, not as frequently as in the first year or two, but that's the place that we all, that, that we should be heading to. It's, it's about growth. It's about growing. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Wendy, do you have any final thoughts or wishes for our listeners? Um, yes. Um, First, through Veronica mentioning the short and long-term plan, and for me, um, this shopping thing for this past year has been and a cool experience, but I'm noticing, you know, a bit of how it could be problematic into the future, and so I want to nip it in the bud, per se, and um, look at myself more deeply now that I have a year behind me in recovery so I can move forward and um, be the best version of me that I can be. And that for me does not include um, spending money a little recklessly. So if, um, you know, getting sober and staying sober and then um, looking at each part of your recovery, breaking it down into small bits as you move forward is the best way to go about that. Um, That's how it should be, and that's how I'm trying to do it. And it's feeling pretty good so far. You know, I had to have my um, bag of um, gummy candies before the phone call here just because I was (laughs) nervous. But, you know, at least it wasn't. wine (laughs) so I'm definitely (laughs) progressing and the sugar of course is a whole other topic but um just keep keep going and um listen to your to yourself what feels comfortable and what doesn't and move with that and it's an exciting journey for sure thanks so much 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. And my thanks as well goes out to Marie for the time she took to write her story so eloquently for us. Well, that's it for Mm -hmm. the show. And so thank you for listening. Um, Everyone, you can find Veronica Valley and all her excellent offerings, including her books, Why You Drink and How to Stop, as well as Get Sober, Get Free. You can sign up for her uh, online course, Soberful, and check out her blog. All of that is at veronicavalley.com. I hope you'll pop by my blog, Unpickled, on pickledblog.com if you want to see what I've been up to lately when I'm done this recording tonight i'm going to write a post celebrating my soberversary and uh, a huge yeah, thank happy, you to happy anniversary Jane. oh thank happy you, anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> uh, a huge thank you to uh, wendy and marie for sharing your stories and wendy i hope that you really enjoy your day tomorrow and and celebrate it so uh, that's it for tonight everybody until next time please be gentle with yourselves and take good care Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From power Weakness head on me In a dark corner Is where shame lies behind We your strong Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. 